the name of the book that he mentioned is called the prodigal the return of the prodigal son or the prodigal son or something like that it's an old book very 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 good book um one of the first books that i was given when i came to the lord and i think you know now that i meet new baby christians and and things like that i'm gonna purchase several of those books because you can get them for like five and six dollars online and just hand them out and i don't like giving people books when they first get saved because i don't want to interrupt what the lord is doing in their lives and how he's leading them but that particular book is worth sharing so i just want to say that um It'll renew your faith, even if you are mature. It'll meet you in a place that is simple and loving, not religious and endlessly um, about works and doing things. It's just a heart book. And it's very good, simple story. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Why do you believe people consider that love is a weakness. Why have you thought maybe that love is a weakness? There is no right or wrong answer, but it is a question that I think we need to place before us because our, our, our views on that are critical, again, like many things to how we see God. Why do people consider love as a weakness or think that it is a weakness and you can share i'm actually asking you to answer this question for yourself and put some of your thoughts in the chat because i believe it's very important that we consider this or even if you say well i don't think that now but most of us have thought that over the course of our lives um one comment says i used to think it opened me up to be heard and let down that is so true. I think most of us would definitely agree with that. That's how, for me, I felt like it was a weakness for that very, very, very reason. Um, another comment, it says, um, I don't think it now, but because there seems to be a need for vindication instead of overlooking a fault. Um, absolutely. Sometimes you feel like um, the, the conversation is that, okay, if I show love, that means that I'm not holding you accountable. That means that I, I am letting it go, that you're not responsible for what happened. Um, someone else wrote um, here that because it's associated with emotions. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. And people think to be emotional or have feelings is weakness. And they define love as emotions. That to me is the most critical part of this conversation. Um, we have another comment that love is sacrificial. Yeah, um, like you throw yourself on the sword. And there's truth to that though. There's truth to that. Um, um, this is another comment. To love means to be vulnerable. And who wants to be vulnerable? That's a part of my notes today. Absolutely. Because vulnerability is seen as weakness. And what we see a lot in the in the congregation, we see a lot of people become hard and or do ministry hard. I'm not talking about hardening hearts necessarily, but they feel like there's this tough persona that they have to portray 
because vulnerability is understood as weakness. Um, yes, there's another comment because many people see love as allowance and permission to hurt them with no consequence. Absolutely. Another comment is of the vulnerability. That's true. Um, let's see, love or showing love is weakness. Um, <laughs> that love can make a person an enabler instead of telling the truth. That is so good. It would be a prophet that bring that one up. <laughs> but yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, the, let's see. Um, some believe that, the, that love is a doormat. That's true. Absolutely. Because it's this idea that if I am very, very loving, that gives people permission to walk all over me. That is so true. Another comment is um, conditioning made me believe that if you aren't hard or if you're not eat, bringing fire, brimstone, payment for doing, disqualifies you for love. It means you aren't showing love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, love is weakness. The American church in general has become hard and shows very little love. Well, you know, the thing is, it's like that worldwide, especially in countries where certain sins are hated and people are murdered for being um, for choosing lifestyles that that you know are considered sinful you see that worldwide so I'm gonna have to say for that one that that's global and in many ways some other countries are more brutal than um, the United States especially when it comes to family issues like uh, mercy killings and uh, so we have I want us to consider that broadly as far as attitudes and behavior, lasciviousness, America probably runs um, at the top of the list. But let's say that is true, too. I love that. Um, that we have um, because the power of love is not taught, understood. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that love has so many definitions that there's not just one definition when it comes to humanity. And I'm saying people in their flesh and people in their families, friendships, we have all kinds of, of subjective interpretations and they're not necessarily negative. Love has blind spots. Um, something, let's see. Yes, I've, I, yes. And especially the blind spot conversation I've heard, especially as it relates to romantic love romantic love people will like like if they get their heart hurt in a relationship they're like i will never love anybody again so there's this understanding of that blind stop spot i see that a lot there and you also see it a lot in ministry that particular thought process um religious conditioning convinces us that it has to be earned that is so good oh my goodness um, someone else wrote that because um, people believe that if they love, I can't, that love can reconcile their darkness and pain. They don't believe that. Um, love requires more than wisdom. Let's see. What are some of the other comments here that we may? Yes, there's one that says um, that um, love is interpreted as accepting sin and not confronting it oh my goodness 
That's a huge, huge one. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, let's see. Um, oh, there's another good one. Well, all of these are good. I'm just moving through. It says, um, love means you have to trust and implies a reasonable amount of safety. You know, that's a really good point because we don't realize sometimes we think that in order to love or be loved, that there has to, it has to be equated with safety. That's a whole different thought process right there. And I think that is a good point. And we don't often see that point raised up. Um, let's see. There's so many excellent comments here. And I want you to know that all of them are accurate and we probably still haven't scratched the surface on all the ways that we consider um, why love is a weakness. And I want you to know, and someone has already said this, I'm just going to repeat it, but we have to understand that those kinds of perceptions are rooted in people who interpret love or when in a world in which love is inter interpreted as emotion, as emotion, as human emotion. And in families, love is an emotion. In friendship, love is an emotion. But in the scheme of eternity, we have to ask ourselves, is it emotion? Right? We have to ask ourselves in, in the scale of eternity, if that is all there is to it. Um, a few months ago, we did a teaching on the life of God. And we talked about how in the life of God, that God doesn't see sin the way we see sin. We see sin as, look at you, you're so bad. You're so horrible. Get yourself in order before I come kill you. That's how, that's how most people interpret the entire conversation around sin but in god's realm god is like oh my god this is pushing you from me i can't reach you i can't you're drowning i can't pull you up if you're going here you're disconnecting he sees sin as perishing he sees sin as languishing outside of his love he sees it as this unreachable place and he's like, I am here to love you. But the more sin we have in our lives, the more the gap becomes for him to reach us. And so we did an entire um, um, Sunday of building that concept of um, calling us to see what that looks like. I want to show you this little video real quick. I'm not going to linger here real long. But I want to bring an example to you that um, I used last week about the magnet. I think I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave, let the music play. I want to just look at it real quick. It's short, so don't worry. I'm going to cut it off before it gets to the end. It's only two minutes anyway. But I want you to just observe this example from a science experiment. So just take a look.
So I hope that you got a really good visual out of that because the example that I want you to see is that this magnet is all, this magnet we can see it as the Lord and his pursuit of us and as long as we have all of these things in our lives that we can't let go of every time God tries to consume us in his love and we're holding on to all of our stuff it looks like this. So in truth, God is not doing anything to prevent us from loving him. It's what we're holding on to. It's what we're not able to let go of. It's what we're thinking. It's what we're believing. It's what we're doing. It's all of those things. All God is saying, I am here. I am here, but we're butting heads. We're butting heads. We just can't get through it. I can't, I can't do anything. We tie his hand because God is pure. He is pure. And I want to know if that visual is really helping you get this point that I really think is so important to make today because everything in the kingdom is based off of this principle, including prophecy. So if you were, if you calling people fat and ugly and saying they need to lose weight, you need to buy some lingerie so your husband can be this and that when you get home, how do you expect people to hear God if you are steadily connecting with him like the opposing side of this magnet, right? There are a lot of principles in science that could prove this, but I just want to, to get it. So when we are talking about, I wanna be like God is really this other part of this example. When they flip, instead of trying to do it our way, we now decide, okay, I'm just gonna follow God. Doesn't have to be two heads bumping two red sides trying to meet. I'm just going to agree to be pulled. I'm going to agree to be led. I'm going to lay it all down and just let the Lord be in control. And I, I just thought, what an amazing way to be able to see what the love of God has done and what Jesus has accomplished in the midst of our lives. I've also um, wanted to share with you that um, one of the things that we see in the old covenant and we need to make aware because people love the old covenant because they see a lot of punishment. They see a lot of God going to get you, but they lack what has transpired in the new covenant. In the old covenant, you know, you did something, you might get zapped up, the ground might open, you fall through the cracks. But in the new covenant, most of what happens to us is consequent. It's so if you're running from the magnet and God is chasing you and you're running from the magnet and there's a big old pit over there, more than likely you're going to fall in the pit. If you manage to survive, my God, how happy that is. The lessons we're going to learn from that, because then we're going to flip and we're going to be able to connect with God the right way. 
But if we don't connect with him the right way, the further we get from him, listen to this, the further we get from him, the further we move ourselves from God, the more danger we enter into. The further away we are on our own course. That's the purpose of that magnet. Listen, that's your conversation. That's what you meditate on. That's what you engage yourself in. That's your warfare. Are you following? And it's even how you prophesy, how you teach, and how you minister to others. It's how you respond to the person that cut you off on the highway. It's all of those things. All of them. All of them. All of them. All of them. Oh, my goodness. Why is this important? today. Well, I want you to understand that God's love is not an attribute. All my life in the, in the faith, I've been taught, put on love, put on the fruit of the spirit as if I'm wearing a blazer or a jacket or a t-shirt that I can take on and off and lay down. Pick up the, the, the this, pick up the that. We need to get the fruit of the spirit. I'm going to walk in love today. You know, we do those kinds of things. All of us have taught them. Don't say you haven't because you have. All of us have said it in some way. I know I have. But love is not an attribute. That barrier has to come down. It's not an attribute of God. God is not like love. God does not just have love. Now, all of this is based on what we taught concerning Ahava last week. Not based on what we think love is, but what the original description of love is and how it grows out of God into friendship, into family, into strangers, into all of that, which is which does have an emotional component. It does. Emotions are not bad. Love is supposed to have an emotional component for us in the earth. It is, but remember, God is a spirit. He doesn't have the, the condition of the flesh. And one day we won't either. So love is not driven by flesh for God but a lot of our human love is, which is why the struggle is so difficult for us to figure out how to love like God. Can you see that? It's a battle. It's a battle because we do contend with the emotional part and the emotional part is good. It's, it's not bad. It can be bad, <laughs> but it's not meant to... Um, do that. It helps guide us and steer us too. But the maturity comes in, in in that we can say, okay, I'm being led by my feelings today. Oh God, now God can use your love because you recognize that your flesh is leading you. Now you're able to pull yourself from the flesh and you're able to say, Lord, I, I'm living, I need to respond to this situation from the spirit realm. I need the kind of truth that can lead me beyond my emotion. And you can pray that. Sometimes I'm so upset, I have to wait until the next day. 
or the day after that. Sometimes I've had to wait a week or two before I could actually get to a place, listen, where I could make a decision. Where I could make a decision. Oh my goodness. God's love is not an attribute. It's a facet. It's not, it's when an attribute is a facet and a characteristic that someone has. Oh, Tracy, you got a good sense of humor. That's what a, 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 a attribute is. Just a good sense of humor. Because tomorrow I might be mad and you might not get me to tell a good joke. That's something I can move through. God is not carrying love like an attribute. So we're, we're going to look at this real quick in the scriptures. Let me find my screen share and move myself there. So, um, yeah. So we're going to look at 1 John 4, 7. We're not going to look at the whole thing in this moment. But I want you to know that the scripture here, I'm not going to read it, but this is where we're coming from. I'm going to read it later. But I want you to know that the scripture says God is love. His being is love. It's not an attribute. He gives love and covenant. That's who he is. That's what Ahava means. He's married to us under any circumstance. God's love is not simply something he extends to us. It's not just him meeting us on the street and saying, how was your day? You know, some people consider that an act of love, kindness, because it is. That's a facet, but it isn't love all-encompassing. So God is not simply something he extends. It is fully and completely the center of his being. All of his motivations come from who he is, not what he does. Not from an attribute that changes like the wind. Oh, my goodness. God's love is not an emotion. I'm talking about God. His love is not a human emotion. He is not a man. The scripture tells us that all the time. And it does mean that in the realm of the spirit, God is both masculine and he is both feminine. He cannot be male or female because he's a spirit. And that's a hard thing sometimes for Christians to understand who see things, everything is male, female, not masculine and feminine. Because all of us who are like God have masculine and feminine qualities. This isn't a subliminal message. So don't get what I'm sharing with you twisted. I mean it for exactly what I just said. We're not talking about anything else. Don't make it into anything else. <laughs> Please, because that's not that conversation. I just want you to know straight off the bat that spirit to spirit is masculine and feminine it's the presence of god versus who god is walking hand in hand oh my goodness we have to see this the um the most important part of this is listen the love of god is the power of the spirit. I'm, I'm going to say that again. The love of God is the power of the spirit. 
The love of God is the power of the spirit. How can that be? Because he said, I am that I am. I am that I am. He is the purest example of love that has ever existed in the earth. Are you with me? Are you with me? Very important point for you to get. Because this is the missing link in preaching, teaching, and prophesying. But if we only see love as a weakness, if we see love as um, an inability to call people into correction, if we see love only from a human perspective, then we will never understand fully what God has done and how deeply God loves us. Oh, my goodness. Let's take a look at some of these passages of scripture. We're going to look at 1 John 4 real quick. Um, did I even highlight this? I don't know. Um, it doesn't look like I highlighted anything. I'm so sorry. I don't know why my, my, my scriptures didn't save, but I thought I saved my highlights. But we're going to read 1 John 4, and we're going to start at 7. It says, Beloved, let us unselfishly love and seek the best for one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves others is born of God and knows God through personal experience. Let's, let's just sit there for a minute. Beloved, let us unselfishly become God, become image, become likeness, and seek the best for one another. For loving, for love, or being like God, because image and likeness is from God, from love, from that pure place, and everyone who is pursuing image and likeness, who is loving God, who is, I, I want you to just get this, is born of love. Love is born of love. Love is born of love. Ahava is born of Ahava. And God and knows God and knows God through personal experience. This is amplified, but knows Ahava intimately. Likeness and image is not behavior alone. In fact, likeness and image is becoming the fullness of God, which is the expression of the most powerful type of love in the earth. And so in listening to your comments in the chat, um, someone wrote that, you know, the church in America does not understand love. I can see that through this passage. I hope that's equating. Because we've seen sermons and things that say, if you don't believe like me, I'm, I'm just saying I'm just throwing that out there. Because we have to be convicted 
of things on the merit of Jesus, not on the merit of people. Oh, gosh. Are you walking with me? So today, I can remember a time in my life when I first got saved and when I got stuck for a while in my faith and couldn't move forward, I believed a lot of things that were not true. Did that make me any less lovable to God? I had behaviors running through my life that were not in check, still got some stuff God dealing with. Does that make me any less pursued? Because at any time I could flip my own magnet and meet him face to face. As long as I am living and breathing, as long as the hope of glory is operating somewhere in me, the size of a mustard seed, as long as I am in some kind of pursuit, I can go from being opposed to a point of meeting in a blink of an eye. Because Ahava, God giving love in covenant is the only kind of love that can do that. Well, I know God loves me and you are absolutely right because he does. I know I love people, that's questionable, that's sketchy. I can say it's sketchy for myself because I'm not God. Perfection to God is pure love. That's why he tells us, you shall know them by their love. It's not our humanistic view of what that is. Look, I know people who love me had a bad day and made me want to cry. <laughs> Everybody has a bad day. But it does not mean I am not loved. Right? Oh, gosh. Beloved, let us unselfishly love because Ahava is unselfish, it's pure. And see, see, we've made our righteousness as filthy rags. We're doing all the right things. We're saying all the stuff we need to say. We're, we're feeding the hungry. You know, we're breaking down the word, Greek, Hebrew. We know biblical history. We're pulling encyclopedias off the shelves and all at the same time treating people like pure crap because they don't agree with something I said. Or they, they, they're not healed in certain areas of their lives. Or you caught them smoking weed after Bible study. In the, I mean, my God. This is why pure love is so important. And pure love only comes from one stream. And when we pursue maturation, when we pursue fullness, when we're claiming image and likeness at the foundations of all of it is Ahava. Is Ahava. Listen. Apostle Pam has been teaching on forgiveness. If ever there was a true apostolic type of ministry, 
that is one. That's foundation. This foundation. I know very few people claiming the title of apostolic ministry that are at the foundation. Or even know what the foundations looks, look like. The cornerstone is pure. That's why nothing can be built on it because the corners accept what has already been built because the cornerstone is a magnet and it can only attract, protect, and keep its own self. Oh my gosh. Lord, help us see. Oh my gosh. The one who does not love has become the one who does not love, the one who does not extend avah. Remember, the scripture says love covers. So don't be condemned if you're struggling in your love, because I always tell you guys and have for a long time that the greatest battle we will ever have is extending the love of God. It's not fighting devils and running from your next attack. That is not it. How do I know? Because the walk to the cross proved that if fighting the devil was the only thing there for me, he would have stopped right there and been in nothing but a battle, throwing blows and speaking to the devil. Get, get away from me, you all ugly, black chocolate, slewfoot. I'm just telling you stuff I've heard in the church. Your lying thing. You know how we talk to the devil? Jesus would have been doing them dances, pews that I'm throwing. Right? He would have been doing all of that if that was the point. But love compelled him. He did not fight with flesh and blood. But he let the purity and the essence of who he is lead him to the cross. And it was not weakness. It was not weakness. He was determined to demonstrate forgiveness. He was determined to say, if, if you beat me, if you, whatever you do to me, I know something you don't know. And I'm going to risk my life. I'm going to die and do whatever it takes so I can demonstrate who I am to you that you might believe. Oh my God. My flesh don't matter. That's what Jesus said. Forgive them, God, because they don't know. They, they have no idea what they're no, do, doing. If they did know, they wouldn't do this. He recognized that they were blind, that they were not enlightened in their understanding. See, when you're all yourself and you're doing what you do, this message, this simple message is already pissing somebody off. Excuse that language. Y'all know me. You know how I am. I don't mean any disrespect by saying that. But you know that it's making people angry because it goes against their agenda. Not God's agenda, but theirs. They're too busy fighting people instead of fighting to love. I am learning that my battle 
is to fight for my position of love. God, I'm so hurt in this situation. I'm so outraged. But the Lord said, what you're wanting to do and what you're wanting to say is not my way. Let me give you a different way to fight. You be a voice in this situation. You be a voice for me and a hope for the people in that situation. To fight for love is to fight for God because it's the way he fights for us. Oh my goodness. God's love is not an attribute. God's love is not just a demonstration and extension of himself. God's love is not an emotion. God's love is his power. It's who he is. It is the power that fuels the kingdom. Without that attribute, all you have is a demonstration of law. Oh, God, that's why the new covenant had to come. Because all he would have been doing is tit for tat, micromanaging the kingdom the way it was in the old covenant. That's why it was called the law of sin and death. But through Jesus, we have the law of life completely. I am not like Ezekiel. I'm not like Jeremiah. I'm not like Moses. I'm not an Esther. I'm not a Deborah. I'm not even the greatest that ever lived, which was John D. Mercer. I am like Christ. You are like Christ. Oh my goodness. In this love, not that we have loved God, verse 10, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation, that is the atoning sacrifice and the satisfying offering, the final offering, the completed offering, the ultimate offering, no more shed blood, no more pleading the blood, the satisfying offering for our sins, fulfilling God's requirement for justice against sin and placating his wrath. Oh my God, he silenced wrath. God gonna get you. That was true in the old covenant. God will chase folks down and they don't even know they can't hide. We saw it in the old covenant. New covenant, not like that. Oh, but we don't know that because we don't understand the love of God. Can you all see this? Can you see it? Because I don't want us to be stuck. I just pray in the name of Jesus that you can receive it. Oh my goodness. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us in this incredible way, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another with unselfish concern, God abides in us and his love, the love that is the, is his essence. 
abides in us, is completed and perfected in us. By this, we know with confident assurance that we abide in him. So for those who feel like they abide in when they prostrate on the floor, that's just, I'm sorry to tell you this, that just makes you feel like you're doing something. True expression of prostration before, before the Lord is sacrificing your emotions for what God wants you to do. Somebody said physical fitness, oh Lord. But you know, we, we, oh my goodness. By this we know with confident assurance that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his Holy Spirit. He has given us his power. Oh my goodness. Have we missed God because we have interpreted love as weakness? Because we have seen our vulnerabilities as opportunities to be misused versus opportunities to let Jesus shine. We're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about the things that went to the cross. We're talking about response in wisdom. There is a wisdom component to love, not a foolishness. And when we can balance those two things, we won't have to worry about, oh, they talk about his love. Well, I know the devil is real. Well, the devil was defeated by love. How about that? The devil was defeated by love. The devil was defeated by love. How that going to work in your theology? Oh my goodness. By this we know with confident assurance that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us to his Holy Spirit. We are sealed in the spirit. Ephesians 1.13. We are sealed. We are the sealed. Nothing can be built that will be stable on any foundation except we continuously building in love. It's not you building what an apostle and a prophet is. It's not you talking about how to prophesy. If none of that is built on love, it means absolutely nothing because we are born of love because the Lord is the essence of love. It's not an attribute like peace and joy and long suffering. It's, it's different. It's different. Love has one motive to be one. Unity. Koinonia. Just one. One thing. Love has one motive. One motive. Oh, goodness. Let's get out of this passage. Let's look at um, just this. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. I want to, we all know this, but Mark or whatever your favorite passage of scripture is, I think in Mark, it might be 37 through 40. 
But here we have Matthew and it says, um, you know, it says hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So they're trying to get together like a lot of church folks do. And that ain't no real church. They just a bunch of scribes. She's not a real minister. All she does is teach about writing. You know how folks do. We don't worry about them people. So you're in verse 35, and it says, one of them, an expert in the law, tried to test Jesus. <laughs> but look, Jesus finna preach him under the sand. Listen to this. And he said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Trying to trick Jesus, right? Oh my goodness. Jesus said, Ahava, giving, covenant love. You covenant love, you give excessively, you give unselfishly. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He, he said, this is the first and the greatest commandment. You have to, he, he's, maturity is learning to ahava God the way he designed it, not the way we've been taught it, the way we think we should do it. Our pursuit is how can I use this magnet and, and let that magnet pull all the impurities out of me so I can just come with God like this. Because one other thing that I love about magnets is that a magnet can recognize the, this properties. That's another video I should share where you can see an object that doesn't look like a magnet, but if you put a magnet to it or near it, it starts pulling out everything like itself. <laughs> oh my God. See, that's what God is doing. I'm growing, I'm maturing. You being in church 40 years don't mean you are maturing. That magnet ain't pull nothing out of you. You just don't know it. <laughs> As my son say, not now thing, mama. Not now thing. <laughs> Country, it means it hasn't done anything for you. <laughs> it has done nothing for you. I'm from the South. I'm from the country here in Georgia in the U.S. So we say stuff like that. And it's not English, but it is the language that we understand. So you have Jesus replied in verse 37. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Verse 38, he says, this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself because all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I love the order of these scriptures. And we know the order comes from the Ten Commandments. We know that. And I love the order. And the order is important because we understand the dependency. The dependency is on studying who God is, on understanding his essence. Not just if you did it for Moses, you can do it for me. That's good. And it's true. But our faith should be based on something far deeper than that one thing I want in a copycat blessing. 
wanting God to make us feel good in our circumstances and our situation. There has to be something more in the midst of that. And that more is understanding, my God, I, I, I want, Holy Spirit, help me, I have our God. Help me build the covenant so strong in me. Let me love him to the point where loving people is secondary. Oh my God. Secondary. So first things first, let's try loving God. I need to change my attitude. I need to believe the promises of God. I need to read my word. New covenant, if you're struggling with condemnation, you need to move into the book of John. You need to move into, if you're struggling with understanding the love of God, stop reading Leviticus, please. Go all the way over and start reading the gospels. Read Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. Revive your soul. Revive your soul. Oh my God. Sometimes we try to love people out of our own understanding, not realizing that the trouble is my foundation is not rooted. Hello, Teresa. No one is immune from this message. I am teaching myself. But I can tell you that every day, Teresa is getting better. And I pray that you are. I want to read you this because we see the evidence of who God is all through the scriptures. We're getting to our ending. I'm a little slow, but we're getting there. Oh my gosh. I just want to read this from Hosea with the present day context. That's important. We're going to move over here to the Amplified. I love the Amplified for certain things. I teach from it when I want certain things to come forth because I think it's important that we see how this particular passage plays out. This was written to Israel, but we all we know that today we're all Israel. Every believer, we're engrafted. There is no Gentile, no Jew, no male or female, despite what people think. We're not battling two nations. There's one nation under Jesus the better way. That's theological. That's my view. You can argue it, but this is my view. So Hosea 11, it says this, when Israel was a child, a young nation, I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. This is, this is God. Listen to God. Just listen. The more they, the prophets call them to repentance and obedience, the more they went away from them. Remember the magnet that I showed you earlier. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning incense to carved images. That's whatever you worship. Let's make it simple. From the struggle to food, to the abuser that you tolerate, to the boss you let cuss you out every day, to the parent that offended you 
50 years ago and you still can't be free of that thing. You're, you're, uh, uh, listen, we got we going deep with this. They kept sacrificing to bear, holding on to everybody that ever made you angry. You're a time bomb now. Just a time bomb. A time bomb. Oh my goodness. They kept sacrificing to Baal and burning incense. Well, I'm upset. I hate you. I'm mad. I'm angry. I don't know why. I'm not dealing with it, but I'm going to keep praising it. Vacillating back and forth. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them in my arms and nurturing the young nation. But they did not know that I healed them. Oh my God. (laughs) They didn't know that they were already healed. Oh, Oh my, this is love talking. I wonder what God's name is, love. Why doesn't he give a name? Because he's indescribable. Why does he say I am that I am? Because that's who he is. Well, I'm just going to call him Yahahahahuahaha. Whatever all the fights we do over names. God is not battling over his name. Listen. But they did not know I had healed them. So I led them gently with the cords of a man, with the bonds of love guiding him, them. He sent people. And I was to them as one who lifts up and eases the yoke of the law over their jaws. And I bent down to them and I fed them. This is, this is the Lord. And I declared they will not return to the land of Egypt. But Assyria will be king, you know, bring them into activity because they refuse to return to me. See, in the old covenant, the Lord, I want you to see that what he was doing was fighting and contending with people on their level, trying to make them see. In the new covenant, he was like, this ain't working. This ain't working. This is not working. (laughs) He said, the sword will whirl against and fall on their cities. That's what he said. And will demolish the bars of their gates and fortifications and will consume them because of their counsel. My people are bent on turning from me. I need you to see this. The Lord was concerned Because he saw their sin, not as, oh, you nasty person, but he saw it because he said, they're leaving me. They're not staying with me. They're not exalting me. They're not receiving my love. They're not able to see what I have given them. They're not able to receive what I have given them. Now God's about to flip again. He said, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I give you up, Israel? How? And my heart is recalling in me. 
My compassions are kindled together. Then he says, I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not return to Ephraim to destroy him again. For I am God and not a man. Oh, oh my God. I, I, we Sometimes we need to see how much God struggled. Go listen to the series on the life of God. He struggled. He struggled with this. And we have to know that he ended that struggle with Jesus. He's not striving with man anymore like this. He's left it up to us to choose him. Oh my goodness. Want to show you something. We're at the end. Just bear with me. Second Timothy one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Jesus Christ to Timothy, a beloved son. So he's sending well, he wrote this letter. Paul wrote this letter specifically to Timothy, his spiritual son. His most trusted right hand. He wrote this letter to him. Now listen to this. And you know, they, they shared everything with everybody. But I thank God whom I serve with the pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. So he's speaking life to Timothy and he's convincing Timothy that he has a lineage of faithfulness to God. And he says in verse six, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, Paul saying, I laid hands on you. And the, in other words, I imparted something to you and I sparked your faith at another level. This is what um, inside of him. But this is what I want you to see. But the next sentence he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Timothy was fueled by the purity of God. We're supposed to be fueled by the purity of God. We're supposed to be led by righteousness, by indignation. We're supposed to be moved by anything that opposes God, not what opposes our personal view. That's when things have to start going into another compartment. This is how I feel. And this is what I want to do, but it's not God. This is where we have to stand and we have to beat this flesh into submission. And we have to say, this is what I want to do, but that's not, this is my fight. This is what I'm wrestling against. I know every day that I think the devil is coming after me and he might, but he's coming through my own mind. Because this is the stand I want to take. 
but I have to operate like I'm being instructed in the spirit. My spirit man must overtake my flesh. If I perish, I perish. Oh my God. That's what maturity looks like. If I have to hold my tongue, I have to hold my tongue. Yeah, it slipped last week, but I'm, 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 I got it now. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of the power of love, of covenant love, and of the mind of Christ. Let's read this over in Amplified. For God does not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love. That's his essence. That is who he is. Love is not weakness. Love is not cowardness. Love is not timidity. But it is power unto sound judgment and personal discipline. We have to love God more than our need to be right and justified. I'm mature, not if you can't control this part of your life right here. Because everything hangs on this part. It's not, the people, the way this scripture is interpreted is heartbreaking. Because if we think we've been given permission to tell it like it is and cut people off at the knees and no, that's not what this means. It's not. Oh my God. How do I know because of the next statement? I know because that's what the scripture says, but listen to this next statement. So do not be ashamed to testify about the Lord or about me, his prisoner, but make, but with me, take your share of suffering for the gospel. Continue to preach regardless of the circumstances in accordance with the power of God. Oh my God. We're in accordance with the purity of the gospel. The same power that not only resurrected Jesus from the dead, the resurrected Christ from the dead, but that also empowered him on, on the walk to the cross. It was not a weakness that sent him to the cross. They said, where are your angels now? Call them down. He could have done that, but that was not the type of power he wanted to demonstrate. I hope that this is helping you. I hope that it is making sense. This scripture is about love. Whenever you see, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, because all God can do is give us who he is. He, he's like, I'm giving you what you need, Timothy, to endure what is to come. I'm giving you what you need. It might not be what you want. It might not be the car. It might not be that million dollar bank account. It not, might not be the ease that the spirit of this age has conditioned you for. What I'm giving you, Timothy, and what I'm leaving with you is more powerful than that. And it's not passivity. 
It's a God kind of courage. Oh my God, it's a pure courage. Because the other kind, uh, I'm just believing God for this. That's wonderful as long as your mind right. Because if your mind ain't right, you're going to hoard it. You're not going to share. It's going to be all about you. You're going to, oh my God. I want to be in the power. Oh my goodness. 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to skip. Do I need to? Yeah, we're going to skip. We're going to start. Okay, so we're going to start at verse 7. It don't matter what the thorn in the flesh is right here. That's another mystery that I thank God that I figured out just by reading the book of Corinthians. It wasn't a mystery. People just don't read. So 1 Corinthians, no, 2 Corinthians 12. Let's go to verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart me. And he said to me, the context of this isn't really important in this instance, but he said in verse nine, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What in the world? For my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, Paul, you're going to have to rely on the purity of who I am and who you believe me to be. You're going to have to understand that what I have given you by the spirit is the most powerful force you have in your life and in the earth. My strength is made perfect in your weakness because there's nothing left, Paul, for you to grab onto. There's nothing left. I've pulled all of that into me now. You have to become the agreeing side of that magnet. Now, I can be perfected in you. That's why my grace can be sufficient. Our grace, grace becomes sufficient. Listen, when we lay down our weapons, we lay down our, 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 our perspectives. We lay down our fight to be right. And we understand, look, God, I, I can't figure this out in this situation, but I know it's in your hands and I'm holding on to nothing. I'm not even mad anymore. Because every day I'm fighting to keep my heart pure. And as long as I'm running to keep my heart pure, love covers. Love covers because you're pulling it out. You're the other side of the magnet pulling me closer and holding on. Oh my goodness. Last but not least, I didn't talk about this last week because I knew that I needed to build on this chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. It's such a powerful, 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 powerful passage in light of this. 
And I want you to just, um, I'm not going to go through the Amplify. That'll take too long. So let's just pull open um, the New King James Version. The greatest gift. I want you to just think about that. The greatest gift. Oh, before I read that, let's just go to John 3.16. For God so ahava the world. For love so loved the world. For love so loved the world. For love so loved the world that he gave. For love so loved the world that love gave love's one and only son. That whosoever believes in love shall not perish. Oh my God, but have eternal life. So whosoever believes in the love that God designed, ahava, giving love, unselfish love, whoever has loved like God shall not perish, but have eternal life. First Corinthians 13. Though I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not Ahava, have not the image and likeness of God, have not perfected giving selflessly, I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbals. And I'm going to say something here that you can theologically debate later. But there are a whole lot of people in the earth that are not far from God. All they need is to decide who they serve because they're already walking in the principles of this understanding. That's why I'm not so quick sometimes to judge certain um, religions and certain things because if you begin to look at them, they're being lured, they're being pulled, they're being drawn. See, we look at it as, oh, look at that heretic religion, them demons and devils, but you're not looking at the drawing. You're not looking at the fishing line, how God is leading them to that point. We're not looking at those things. We're looking through our critical judgmental eyes and we're not able to see that they're being pulled along some kind of way. Because listen, the devil cannot give love. Love defeated him. Oh, well, look, being a good person and all that. But if that is the way to the path of God that brings you face to face with Jesus, that is a drawing. That's a fishing line. That's a hook. But they meet some of these Christians and go the whole other way. Because the one thing we should embrace, we don't. But these spiritual people out here are tapping in. Left and right, they're tapping in, but we can't see it because we're operating in the realm of sin and death. Oh my God. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not Ahava, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and knowledge, you know, people who like the dream, they love to tell you how they see 
And though I have all faith and so that I could remove mountains, people laying out in the spirit, they posting all their pictures on Facebook because they want you to see that little Pharisee self, but they have not love, they have nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, they on the floor, oh, they even got a bed on TV laying on it to show you they prostrate in the spirit and how spirit Pharisees. But if I have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind and it does not envy. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely and nasty to people. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It thinks the best first. It does not rejoice in iniquity. People are celebrating the demise of people they think are of the devil. How sad but it rejoices in truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things because it is all God. You just read about God, not attributes of people. This is I am that I am. This is what saved the world. This is what went to the cross. This is what was resurrected. This is what the good news is about. This is what's behind prophecy. Because Ahava never failed. Oh my God. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come. Oh God. But when that which is perfect has come. Then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became an adult, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Because when we look in the mirror, it's easy for us to see how far God has brought us. But it's dim because we can't see the people we hate. Until we can see the people we hate like we see ourselves that mirror will always be dimly lit. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. We have to face love in the mirror. That's what this is about. We are all on the path to the fullness of Christ. Not to agreeing on every point of doctrine. We are face to face in the fullness of Christ. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Oh my God. In other words, 
I am one day going to know the fullness of love because at the end of the day, intention is leading us to that perfect family. That, without, that church without spot or wrinkle is not a church that's sin-free. It's a church that is pure love. That it's a church that walks on the side of the magnet that is doing the chasing the way God demonstrates it. Seeking to pull out everything that's like him and bring it into that community of oneness. That church without spot or wrinkle is a church that has arrived in the maturation and the fullness of the love of God. Only then will we understand what it means for three things to remain. Because the faith is the belief that we can be like God. We can be like this in image. Hope is the glory on the inside of us. That, that, that spark. That breath. And love is that covenant. But here we go. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is love because love is God. And it is his greatest strength, not weakness. It is the church's greatest strength, not weakness. But how we view sin, how we view pursuit, how we see the world, I understand now how Paul was able to see these people saying they worship the unknown God. He didn't go in there to rebuke them and deal with them. He went in there and said, listen, I'm going to tell you about the love that you're worshiping. I'm going to introduce you to the real God. Oh, my God. He didn't go in with law and bring death. I hope this has convicted us today. Father, we just thank you for who you are and how you are leading the conservatory. We thank you, Father, that our hearts and our minds can open up to something more than what we have learned from religious systems and people putting forth their best efforts, but not putting them forth after your heart, God. And we're in a new day. New revelation is pouring forth, not a new revelation to be great philosophers and theologians, but the kind of revelation that causes us to come greater in the understanding who you are, not just what you've done, what you've promised to do. We want to exist in that place with you, God, where we truly can become one. Where we truly can become one. We know we're one with you now because we've said yes, but we want the purification of it on the inside of us in Jesus' name. We want to be the best we can be in this moment. There is no condemnation in you. And Father, we repent for being ignorant to the ways of love. We repent from pitting you against our idea of what love should look like. We repent in Jesus' name. We repent for trying to force people to conform in behavior without understanding that the real conforming that you're looking for is a transformation, a metamorphosis of the heart. Oh my God, there are treasures 
and these earthen vessels, treasures untold, treasures untapped. We're asking you to excavate. We're asking you to dig them out. Oh my God, Father, I know now why our thoughts, you see them before we speak. But Lord, let our thoughts mirror yours. We only know in part, but that part that you give us, let us be in constant places of conviction, of learning, and of being better than we were five minutes ago. There's no condemnation, God. This world has done so much damage to us and our emotions and our physical space. There have been so many hurts that we've had to process through in our own lives, God, even abuses we've committed against ourselves. But we know that in an instant, you can take it away. In an instant, you can give us clarity of decision. In the new covenant and our places of forgiveness, we are not being taught anything by abuse. We're being taught by grace. We're being taught by mercy. We're being taught by love. So Father, we receive the best for us today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.